0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Stoffenbaugh as he gives an encouraging word titled, The Safeguard of Always Rejoicing and How to Do It. Praise the Lord. It's a true delight to be with each one of you today. I love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. I have a really good and important sermon, so let's say a prayer. Father, we ask you to bless the word to our hearts and... uh, change us into your image, Jesus, and then we just pray, Lord, that you'll help us to do this word, uh, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the message is entitled, The Safeguard of Always Rejoicing and How to Do It. The Safeguard of Always Rejoicing. Now, Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, And it is a safeguard for you. That's Philippians 3 1. Later in the book of Philippians, he says uh, in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. (laughs) Now, have you ever had a cold or flu or something? And chicken soup, chicken noodle soup seemed like it helped somehow. And uh, I've certainly experienced that. So it helps somehow, makes us feel better. Now, what about when we're sick of the world, when we're sick of all the bad news, when we're just sick of everything in general? <laughs> well, God has a cure, and it's better than chicken noodle soup. Uh, we, it's, it's, our, the cure is to get our focus back on what the Lord has done, what he's doing, and what he will do, and then rejoice. And, and what that does, that safeguards us from a whole bunch of things. When we're rejoicing in the Lord because we got our eyes on Him, then we're safeguarded from unbelief, despair, worry, fear, isolation, withdrawal, paralysis. That's where you just, you're so discouraged you just can't do anything. Depression, hopelessness, and anxiety. Now, have, I wonder, have any of you been feeling any of those things lately when the world is so full of bad news? Well, to rejoice in the Lord always requires intentionality and a plan because if we just say, yeah, I should do that, well, that's meaningless. We can't enjoy the safeguard Paul speaks of unless we actually rejoice in the Lord so frequently that it becomes a habit and it becomes the lens through which we view life. Now, my first point is that we don't have to wait till things get better to start rejoicing. The Apostle Paul was chained in a Roman prison waiting trial before an insane and demon-possessed Caesar, Nero. And on the outside of the prison, others uh, who also preached Christ were causing Paul trouble. And he wrote, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now that's in Philippians one fifteen, the same book where he's emphasizing rejoicing in the Lord so much. So he's actually practicing, uh, you know, what he preaches. The devil, or what I call the other voice, likes to influence our focus and turn it negative, uh, turn it to what is all wrong, uh, get us to focus on what we don't have. But Paul resisted that negative focus, and uh, he saw that his change were causing the, the imprisonment was causing many Christians to become more bold in their witness for Christ. And he rejoiced about that. And then he rejoiced that Christ was being preached, even if some people were preaching it from wrong motives. So he wasn't waiting till he got out of prison or had a fair trial uh, to rejoice. He was just rejoicing in the present tense situation wherever he found himself. Now, David, King David, of course, but before he was king, uh, he was uh, the armor bearer for King Saul and became King Saul's son-in-law, and then the king went crazy with jealousy of David and, and was going to kill him, and David had to flee for his life, and he, uh, he went to the Philistines to try to escape, and uh, then the Philistine people said to the king, this is David, the, the, king, the, the king of the land. This is the one they're singing about in their dances. Saul has struck down his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. And so David feared for his life and pretended to be insane. He let spittle run down his beard. He made marks on the doors and the gates. And, and the old Philistine king was fooled. And he said, behold, you see, the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so he didn't get killed. He he got away. And that was first Samuel chapter 21. And then the Bible says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now in the cave of Adullam, he's living like a caveman, all right? <laughs> he, he's He's been taken away from his wife. She's been given to someone else to be married. The king that was his father-in-law is hunting him with an army trying to kill him. And he's all alone. He doesn't have anybody. But there in the cave, he wrote Psalms 34. And that Psalms begins like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, you know, things turned around for David when he decided to bless the Lord and rejoice in the Lord. And so there he was. He, he was all alone in the cave. Uh, plenty of things had gone wrong. But the Bible says then his brothers and all his father's house went down to him at the cave and all who were in distress and everyone who was in debt and anyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them and there were with him about 400 men. So he was still in trouble, but uh, things were turning around and notice really what was his, at his lowest point, he's saying "I'll bless the Lord at all times. And then everything turned around. My second point is you can praise your way into god and out of your problem recently i read a booklet written by kenneth e hagan one of his last books he had a long long ministry but it was called the greater glory and jesus had appeared to him again i think it was the eighth time jesus had appeared to him something like that and Jesus told him that clapping in a religious meeting was neither praise nor worship, but just applause. And Jesus told him that clapping for, clapping for God, like in some meetings, so let's give God a hand and we'll all clap for God. Well, that doesn't impress God any. Uh, it actually prevents a greater manifestation of God's presence. And God told uh, Brother Hagen that uh, instead we should lift up our hands and our voices and actually worship and praise God, that clapping was neither worship nor praise. And if we wanted the higher glory, we should lift our hands and our voices and actually praise and worship God. And then uh, in the rest of this little booklet, Brother Hagen related testimonies of people who were in bad shape and they had prayed, but still didn't have the victory. And then they praised and rejoiced their way on into the full victory. And the first example is from the book of Acts. Paul and Silas had been uh, beaten. They, they had cast, Paul had cast a demon out of a young lady that told fortunes. And when their, uh, the, those that owned her as a slave saw that their way of making money off of her was gone, uh, then they had Paul arrested and Silas, and they beat them with rods. They had them thrown into prison and locked in stocks. So here they were all bloody and beaten, and uh, you know, stocks, you know what the stock is. Well, their hands are extended in front of them and locked, and then their feet are extended in front of them and locked. And the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and after they prayed, and sang praises to god and the prisoners heard them <coughs> excuse me and then all of a sudden an earthquake came now this had to be an angelic earthquake because all the locks came undone their chains fell off they the the stocks fell open and uh and the prisoner uh, the uh, prison warden guy ended up getting saved with all of his family And they took him in. They gave him a meal. They washed all their wounds. And then the prison uh, warden and his uh, whole family were baptized. It just turned into a great evangelistic uh, event. Now, this is the guy who said, uh, I'm going to tell you guys, you need to rejoice. It's a safeguard. See, it's not just something that he made up or that just sounds good. He, He literally did it and saw the tremendous results. So they prayed and then they praised God and sang praises to God and the, and the miracle happened. Now a second example was uh, a woman that uh, Brother Hagan met back in March of 1945 in Overton, Texas and she was the wife of an oil executive and she had suffered terribly from asthma and her husband was wealthy, and he had spent a fortune on medical treatments from the from world-renowned specialists, but to no avail. And she had gone to every healing meeting or revival that they could find in those days, and uh, but all the people that prayed for her, she was never healed. And then a, a, a minister named Raymond T. Ritchie came to town, and he was a healing evangelist. So she came to him for prayer, and he He said to her immediately, you've been prayed for many, many times, haven't you? And she said, oh, yes. And he said, well, I'm not going to pray for you, but will you do what I tell you to do? She said, I will if it's easy. He said, well, this is easy. Every time you think of it, just praise God for your healing. She said, but I'm not healed yet. And Brother Richie said, can you praise God for the word? Well, oh, yes. He said, I can praise God for the word. Well, he said, the word says in Matthew 8, 17, that Jesus took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses. And in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, by his stripes, you were healed. Every time you think of it, just say, thank you, Father, for the word. According to the word, I'm healed. And he said, can you do that? Yes, I'll do that, she said. Well, then the woman told Brother Hagin, quote, I got taken up with praising the Lord. I'd praise God while I was cooking breakfast and getting my husband off to work and the children off to school. I'd praise God while I was making up the beds and cleaning up the house. And every time I'd think of it, I'd praise God for the word. I got to where I went to bed and woke up praising God for the word. And one day I said to my husband, you know, it's been so long since I had an asthma attack, I don't even remember the last attack I had. And my husband said, I do. It's been 30 days. And she said, Brother Hagen, that 30 days has stretched into eight years, and I've never had another asthma attack. Now, she had been prayed for again and again and again by every healing evangelist who came to minister in her church or area. But the answer came then when she began to praise God. Remember, Paul said, if you rejoice in the Lord, it's a safeguard to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Well, now the third example was a young minister who developed tuberculosis in the early 1930s, and uh, because he was a traveling minister, he, everywhere he'd go, he he'd tell people that he had tuberculosis and that he asked for their prayers. So hundreds of people were praying for him, but he got steadily worse and finally became bedfast, and there was hemorrhaging in his lungs. And he was so weak, he could not turn over in bed. So he was real near death. And one day he looked out the window and he saw some trees about a quarter of a mile from the house. And he, he told God, Father, if you'll just give me enough strength to get up and go down there to that clump of bushes and trees, I'll pray until I'm healed or dead, one of the two. And so he managed to crawl to those trees. And when he got there, he was too work too weak to even whisper a prayer. And then he thought to himself, if prayer alone was going to get it done, I'd already be healed because hundreds of people have prayed. And then he decided, I'm gonna lie here and praise God until I'm healed or dead. (laughs) So he began to whisper, praise the Lord, glory to God. Now he kept that up and at the end of two and a half hours, he was standing on his feet, hollering at the top of his voice, praise God. Remember, he had hemorrhaging in his lungs. People could hear him two miles away. Now, he was completely healed. You see, there's nothing wrong with prayer. It's just prayer is supposed to come first, and then praise is supposed to finish it off. So, after we pray, Paul and Silas prayed, the Bible says, and then they sang praises to God, and then the angelic earthquake happened, and the a prison warden got saved with his family. So, another example in this little book called The Greater Glory, uh, Brother Hagan wrote about a lady missionary, and he had just read her testimony in a probably was the Pentecostal evangel uh, in 1937. And this lady missionary had come down with smallpox, and she had to isolate. And while she was in prayer, The Lord gave her a vision, and in her vision, she saw an old-fashioned balance scale, and on the one side, it was weighted down with prayer, so that it sat way down at the bottom. The other side was labeled praise, and there was just a little bit on it, so it hung up in the air. And the Lord spoke to her and said, when your praise equals your prayers, you will be healed. And so she knew she was gonna be healed. All she had to do is balance that, out, that scale out with praise. So for two days and nights, all she did was praise God, and she was completely healed. Every sign and symptom of smallpox just disappeared when her praises equaled her prayers. You gotta think about that, folks, because there's probably not very many Christians whose praises equals their prayers. But that's why I'm preaching the sermon, okay? (laughs) we got to change that. Now, when I got out of Bible college, it was 1971. No no church was offering me a job, and I went to work at a veneer mill, which is what they make plywood out of. But it's very physical work. You have to fling veneer into carts as it comes down a fast-moving conveyor belt, and it was 10 hours a day, five days a week, 50 hours a week of very physical work. And I wanted to go into the ministry but uh, this other voice, which is the devil, of course, would just kind of beam into me, you're never gonna get out of this mill. You'll become an old man right here in this mill. And you know what I decided? I, I, when, I, when I'd pull a piece of veneer off the th- thing, I'd have to fling it into the cart. And uh, that meant I was facing the wall of that uh, building when I flung that veneer in there. So I started just thinking, you know what, I'm going to praise a hole in that wall. And when I'd fling the veneer in, I'd just say, praise God. Hallelujah. Lord, I love you. And bang, 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 I'd be throwing the veneer into the back metal, uh, the back of that metal cart facing that wall. And you know what? Then uh, another minister came and was working there in that mill. We got to talking that we both wanted to go into the ministry and we decided we'd appeal to the management and to let us split a shift where the 50 hours would be cut in half and he'd work 25 and I'd work 25. And they did that for us for six months and then we both went into full-time ministry. Now, they never did that for anybody else because it cost double insurance. So it was just like the Lord parted the Red Sea for us. But I literally got into the ministry through this of just you know, praying, God, I wanna be a minister. I wanna go into ministry. And then I praised God and praised God and the miracle happened. Now, my third point is that praising God creates an atmosphere to God to work in. And Kenneth Hagan wrote this. He said, I believe there's a close relationship between ministering to the Lord and receiving from him praising God creates an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to work in. And when we learn to lift our voices in praise to the Lord, his supernatural power will begin to manifest in our lives. And then he gave a fifth example. He uh, said that he had met uh, a man who was the assistant general superintendent of a Pentecostal denomination. That means a a high national office in, uh, in a denomination. And this man told him the story. He said that when he was 17 years old, he went to a certain Midwest town to hold a youth revival. And the pastor of the church was called away to do a funeral in another city and he couldn't get back that night. Now during the night when the pastor was gone, one of the parishioners called the pastor's wife. And that child, that parishioner's child had a very high fever and and the child had gone into convulsions. So the pastor's wife got this young preacher up and uh, said, we got to go pray for this child. So when they got there, they anointed the child with oil. They laid hands on the child. They prayed. They rebuked the devil. But the child was no better. Now, there several other adults there that were praying with them from, from this uh, person's family. And, and after a while, the pastor's wife began to praise God. And one by one, they all picked it up until they were all praising God and all of a sudden, the convulsions stopped. And later, they were standing around talking and the little girl went back into another convulsion. So they went in and they rebuked the devil. They anointed the child with oil. They laid hands on the child. They prayed. Nothing was happening. The convulsion was still happening. And then the pastor's wife began to praise God again they all joined in and the convulsion stopped and never returned. Now, we don't want to belittle prayer. It's just that prayer is supposed to come first. And, and I get a football illustration. You know, when a running back wants to run through that uh, defensive line, he needs somebody to throw a block for him and create a hole. And then he darts through the hole and makes a gain. So prayer... Prayer throws the block, and, and, and praise just runs on through for the touchdown, so to speak. They're supposed to go together. But I think it's probably a rare Christian that puts them together in the right way. Now, Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, that's also in the book of Philippians chapter 4. But you see, we're supposed to pray with thanksgiving. That would mean we'd go into thanksgiving and praise and worship, thank God that he's a good God, that he hears us, and that he helps us. We're not, But, but so often we're praying without that, and we're waiting till the miracle manifests in order to praise God. In, in order to praise God that we've got it. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to praise God and believe that He's hurt us, that He's helping us, and then it manifests. Now, the Bible says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. That's the old King James language. The the ESV says you are holy enthroned on the praises of israel so depending on the translation god either inhabits the praises of israel or he's enthroned on the praises of israel now we need to get a mental picture of that because we want god to be enthroned over the top of our problems well then we should praise and worship god and rejoice in the lord and then God will inhabit those praises and be enthroned upon them and will dominate our problems. The Bible says in Psalms one hundred, verse four, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Now, the the gates were the the you know, outer fence around the, the tabernacle or the temple. So thanksgiving would get you into the into the into the gate but to get into where he's seated as seated as the judge of the universe in the courtroom of heaven uh, you were supposed to go into praise well that's how we draw near to god uh, we draw near blessing and worshiping him we're getting close when we're thanking him but to get into his very presence where he's enthroned of judge of, of the judge of all creation We've got to enter through praise. Now, my fourth point is we want to intentionally store up reasons to thank and praise God. Intentionally store up reasons to thank and praise God. In the same letter, epistle, you know, where Paul repeatedly urged Christians to rejoice in the Lord, he wrote this finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now the key is they're worthy of praise because if it's not worthy of praise, it's not true, it's not excellent, you see? Does that make sense? All these things, whether they're pure, they're lovely, commendable, excellent, they're all supposed to be worthy of praise. All right, that's the key there and then it says practice these things and the god of peace will be with you so paul was in essence telling us to collect reasons to praise god now if we collect these reasons then we can think about them at any time and praise god so this is actually a how-to instruction where paul says Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a safeguard for you. Great. How do we do that? Well, here's how he tells us how to do it. Think about whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. What are you doing? You're storing up reasons to praise God. You're memorizing Bible verses about God's goodness, God's greatness, God's covenant, God's faithfulness. And then anytime you want to praise God, you can start rattling those off you've got them stored up. You're being intentional about praising and thanking God. All right, so again, I think very few Christians intentionally store up very much of what is true and honorable and just and lovely. and, And we're so inundated with negative news from our culture That when we think about things, we're usually thinking about what the devil's doing, how bad things are, what's going wrong in the world, who's crazy, who's nuts. And we're not thinking about who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And then we don't praise God. We just kind of get in a funk. Now, if you relate to that, I'm giving you your way out of that. And I believe that if we want to see God manifest in all kinds of miraculous provision and help for us and healing, we got to move into this where we pray and praise. All right. So an example would be a true thing. Now, an infinite price was paid for you and me, which means that we have infinite worth to God. We've been ransomed through Christ. Now, it says in Isaiah 52:3. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Now, what does that mean? Well, the world treated you as if you were worthless and just said, This one's worthless. This is a garage sale item, except we can't sell this item. It was $5, $1, 10 cents. Take it away for free. Uh, we sell it for nothing. But God says, I paid an infinite price for you. You, it, you are so valuable you couldn't be redeemed with any amount of money it took the blood of jesus the son of god to purchase you you've been purchased with an infinite price which means you have infinite worth now that's a true thing say it right out loud that's a true thing see and when you think about that you think i'm not worthless the world may treat me as worthless but jesus is my redeemer he values me and he said you were sold for nothing that's the way the world treated you but I've redeemed you without money, because no amount of money could do it. It had to be an infinite sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's a true thing. And when you think about a true thing like that, the God of peace is with you. Here's an example of an honorable thing. And I've been thinking a lot about this truth, that God often says to the devil, make it as hard as you can. And the devil makes it as hard as he can, and then God makes a fool out of him. Uh, so I'm gonna give you some stories. This is all about thinking about God, what God is doing, what he's done, what he will do. An honorable thing. So, you know, the devil made it as hard as he could for Paul and Silas. He had these Jewish people who had rejected Jesus follow clear up into Greece where they were preaching to the Gentiles and lie about him and slander him. and and uh, get them uh, arrested and beaten with rods and locked in stocks in the inner part of the prison until, you know, the devil made it just as hard as he could. And when he when he'd made it as hard as he could and it was sufficiently difficult, God inhabited the praises of his servants and triumphed over the enemy, turning Satan's best plan into an, a successful evangelistic event. Now God let the devil make it as hard as he could for Moses, but when Moses led Israel, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, Pharaoh at that time was the most prideful, stubborn man on earth. He was as blockheaded as stubborn, uh, more so than any other man on earth. Plus, he had the most money. He was the wealthiest, and he had the most powerful army of any nation at a time. So the devil made it as hard as he could to hold on to all those Israelite slaves. But it was just no problem. God just sent 10 plagues (laughs) until Pharaoh drove them out. Well, Pharaoh realized then that they'd gotten away from him. And he didn't have slaves anymore, so he decided to chase them with his army. And again, the devil made it as hard as he could because he he, he he had them pinned between the Red Sea and the approaching army of Pharaoh. There was no way to escape. Well, no problem. God just uh, sent a wind and he parted the sea and his people went through on dry ground. But when Pharaoh's army pursued them into the sea, Uh, the waters came back and drowned the whole army. It was just no problem. It's just like, okay, devil, make it as hard as you can. You got it as hard as you can? All right, and then God does the big miracle and totally embarrasses, makes a fool out of the devil. Well, it was uh, then when they got to uh, across the Red Sea and well, they were into the wilderness then And there was no water and there was no food. And of course, you know, it was easy for God. He made food fall out of the sky for 40 years. He made water come out of a rock so repeatedly, uh, rivers of water. And their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Well, when they got to Canaan... And they uh, had uh, defeated Jericho. Then uh, the Gibeonites had made a peace treaty with Joshua. And five Amorite kings banded together to wipe out the city of Gibeah. And they called to Joshua to come save them. Now this was the devil making it as hard as he could because these kings, five kings, had banded their armies together. So it was a vast army. And like it was just as if God said, okay, have you made it as hard as you can? Okay." And then the Bible says God made hailstones, huge hailstones, fall on their army, and more were killed by the hail than by the sword. And that's the battle where Joshua needed more time to wipe out the, the enemy armies. So he commanded the sun to stand still and the moon to stand still. Now that meant somehow that the rotation of the earth had to stop. And. You know, you'd think if the earth stopped spinning, that all the water in the oceans then would just come be sloshed out and just drown the whole world. But for 24 hours, the sun and the moon stood still, and, and it was Joshua's long day. How does God do these things? Well, nothing's impossible with God, and with God, all things are possible god really does know how to get honor and glory for his name another example would be the devil making it as hard as he could for jesus he had people spit in his face pull out his beard put on a crown of thorns beat it into his heads with uh, with a, a rod uh whip him until almost all of his blood was drained out at the whipping post made him carry the big heavy cross and then uh, when he fell and couldn't carry it any farther because of the big loss of blood, uh, they, they drafted a, a man to carry it for him. But then when they got Jesus to the, Mount Calvary, they nailed his hands and his feet to it, lifted it up and then dropped it down into the hole that the cross stood in and uh, just tortured him until he was dead and then poked his side with a spear to make sure he was dead. In other words, the devil just made it as hard as he could and then they took Jesus down and they laid him in a tomb and they rolled a great big stone in front of that that took several men to move that stone. And then the Pharisees said to the governor, Pilate, uh, you know, this imposter said that he would rise from the dead, so we need you to station soldiers around the tomb to make sure his disciples don't come and steal his body and claim that he rose from the dead. And Pilate said, take a guard and make it as secure as you can. So they sealed that tomb with the governor's uh, seal. And then they had a big bunch of strong Roman soldiers about it. And and then it was as if God says, all right, devil, have you got it as hard as you can? (laughs) Boom, on the third day, uh, Jesus uh, rises out of the tomb. The angel comes and rolls it away. The soldiers are struck uh, almost like as if they were dead. They fell down in terror and paralyzed. uh, And and of course, Jesus is ascended now at the right hand of God. The point was the devil made it as hard as he could and it was just no problem at all, all for God. Now another example of that, and we're still talking about thinking about honorable things thinking about things that help us praise God. And this is one of the things I've been thinking about is God can let things get really, really hard, but a lot of times he wants it that way so that he can do the bigger miracle. And he'll just let the devil make it as hard as he can for a little while, and then and then God will uh, do his great miracle. So another example would be that Peter was arrested by Herod, and he was locked in an inner prison in the, in the biggest security part of the prison. And he was chained between two guards. So he had his right wrist chained to the left wrist of one guard and his left arm was chained to the right arm of another guard. And there they were sitting on the floor trying to go to sleep that night. And outside of this cell were two guards at the door And then there were all the locks, you know, on that inner prison. And then even on the the gate that led into the prison was also locked. And an angel appeared and woke Peter up. And he struck those uh, chains off of Peter. And they fell to the floor. But the guards stayed asleep. And the angel said, "Put put your coat on and follow me. Now, the angel walked right through the wall. And Peter followed him. Now, how do you when jesus would appear rise he rose from the dead and he'd appear to people he could suddenly appear in a room he could he could come right through the wall but he had a resurrected body but peter didn't peter was just a mortal man and here he is chained and he's locked and there's soldiers in front of the door and the devil had made it as hard as he can but the angel just comes knocks off the chains follow me and the angel walks through the wall and peter's able to follow the angel Right out of the whole prison, and then the even the outer gate opened on its own. <laughs> and when Peter got out in the street, the angel disappeared. Now you're not going to be able to figure out, and I can't figure out how a mortal man like Peter could walk through a wall, maybe several walls to get out of that prison. Well the angel could. and remember the angel just said, "Follow me." Now I don't know how difficult it's going to get in America, but I know this. You can just follow God's angel (laughs) right through the most impossible situations if we'll just follow God. Now, that's an honorable thing to think about. And when we think about these things of how great God is, then we begin to praise and worship Him, and the God of peace is with us. And when the God of peace is with us, we always win. The Bible says in Romans 16 verse 20, and the God of peace will shortly crush Satan beneath your feet. I always tell people the devil wants to get you out of the arena of peace because if he fights you in a cage fight in the arena of peace, you will always win in, in that arena. And that's why he wants to get you into fear, worry, anxiety, strife, to get you outside of that peace and then he can, he can win against you. Let's go to my fifth point here now. We need to learn how to look for the good in every situation. Paul said that whatever we saw in him or heard from him, we should put into practice and the God of peace would be with us. And Paul was always looking on the bright side of things and praising God. And he'd look for good while looking right straight at the bad. So he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. (laughs) Well, then he would rejoice in that. David wrote this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalms 34, 19. And Peter wrote this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. First Peter chapter 1. Well, I rejoice that my inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, Unfading, it's kept safe in heaven where no thief can steal it. No bad renter can destroy it. No stock market crash can diminish it. A war can't dent it. The government can't tax it. No jealous person will be able to sue me and get it. (laughs) Now, I rejoice in that because I got an earthly inheritance. And I tell you what, when you get an earthly inheritance, it's like a seagull getting a crab. 10 other seagulls will come try to take it away, <laughs> you know? And uh, so anyway, our inheritance is kept in heaven and we're kept ourselves. God's keeping us. Now the Bible says this in Proverbs four eighteen: the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. So I'm getting older, I'm 73, I'm headed for 74. I'm a, I'm a righteous person in Christ. My path is getting brighter and brighter. See, now that's a great way to think, isn't it? That's an admirable thing. All right. Paul wrote this. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 3. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So I rejoice that my life is hidden with Christ in God and that I have eternal life. And if my body dies, I'll be in God's presence forever, my spirit and my soul. And someday I'm gonna get a resurrected body just like Jesus has. Now, Paul wrote this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Romans eight twenty-eight. What am I doing here in this message? I'm telling you that you want to store up reasons to praise God. See, because you want to, if you're going to rejoice in the Lord always, well, then you've got to have things to think about that you've stored up. Say, oh, yeah, Romans eight twenty-eight. All things work together for my good because I love God. Hallelujah. This has got to work out for my good. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivers them out of them all. You look in the mirror and you think, though my outward man perish, my inward man is being renewed day by day. World's getting darker, crazier, but you say I'm a righteous person in Christ. The path of the just, the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the full dawn of day. What have I done? I've stored up all kinds of reasons to praise God and rejoice, and that's a safeguard that safeguards me from worry, anxiety, fear, all those things I mentioned at the beginning. And we, we have to intentionally rejoice in the Lord always. All right? And that's why Paul said, if anything is excellent, praiseworthy, noble, admirable, think about those things. Well, store them up, then you'll have them to think about. My sixth point is I rejoice that God answers prayer and that I can pray. When I was in high school, I, got a, I grew up in, uh, out on a cattle ranch outside of Rapid City, South Dakota, and there was a tourist attraction on Mount Rushmore Road called Marine Life. And I got a job there the last two years I was in high school and, uh, and I would help do the porpoise shows. It was the farthest inland porpoise show in the world at that time. And part of my job was to scrub the sides of the pool where those three porpoises swam because it would get scummy and you'd have to use a brush. Well, one day I used an old brush and 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 it had loose bristles and a whole bunch of these stiff bristles came out of it and got all over the pool. And the owner of the por- porpoise was there at the time from Florida and she was having a fit. She thought that the porpoise were going to... They're so playful, they'll grab things in their mouth and they'll swallow them. And she thought if they swallow those bristles, they're going to stick in their intestines and I'm going to lose all this thousands of $100,000 per porpoise, you know. Well, I was just beside myself because I couldn't get those bristles back. They were on top of the water, in the middle of the water, down at the bottom. They were just all over, hundreds of them. And all of a sudden, you know, it was like I couldn't do anything to fix this terrible situation. And all of a sudden it just flooded over me, but I can pray. I can pray and ask God to protect the porpoise. And I prayed, I said, oh God, please don't let the porpoise swallow those bristles. Please protect them. Now I remember that I was just flooded with peace when that thought came to me, you can pray. And and now after all these years, I, I realized that was a, a thought from the Holy Spirit. That was a conviction of righteousness, you can pray. Well, I did pray. Nothing happened to the porpoise. Everything worked out fine. Hallelujah. Now, Richard Sigmund wrote the book, uh, My Time in Heaven. He was dead for eight hours, and uh, while he was, his spirit was in heaven before he was sent back to earth, he saw a band of huge warrior angels marching off to battle, and he asked God where they were going, and Jesus said, they're being sent into your future. <laughs> well, the inference was that they were being sent into his future because he had prayed, and there the answer was going off into the future. So one of the reasons I rejoice in God is that God has assigned many angels to be with me and to help me and protect me. You say, what about me? What about? Well, that's true of any Christian, you see. You don't have just one angel. You've got a bunch of angels watching out over you. So if the future looks uncertain, you and I can pray, and God will send powerful angels into our future. My point is, I rejoice in God because I can pray and get answers to prayer. Now, one time God spoke to me and said this, the desire to bring me massive glory because that's my desire. I want to bring God massive glory. He said, the desire to bring me massive glory is actually a call to prayer, for you can never bring me massive glory unless you keep your spirit sweet so that you can open a door for me in prayer. Then I'll come through the door and do the great and massive things you could never do. That's one of the reasons I don't want to be mad or hateful or bitter or into self-pity. I want to keep my spirit sweet with God's help so that I can pray and open a door for God. Now, Jesus said this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, a different translation says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, same thing, abide means to remain in. And one day I was reading that verse when the Lord gave me a conviction of righteousness and beamed into my spirit these words, you qualify. See, he said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And then it was beamed into me, you qualify. I heard those words in my spirit. And I thought, hey, I think I do qualify. I'm, I'm remaining in Jesus and I'm, I've filled, been filling my life with his word for decades And his word remains in me. I'm going to ask whatever I wish. I got out a a legal pad and I wrote out 178 prayer requests that day. Well, I received marvelous, marvelous answers. Some of the things aren't answered fully yet. But uh, God even remembers my prayers if I forget that I prayed them. Now, listen to this. Paul wrote this. For I know whom I have believed and i'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which i've committed unto him against that day second timothy chapter 1 verse 12 now god is able to keep the prayers that we've committed unto him in sincerity so a few weeks ago i was in north dakota and i took my toyota prius i have a little prius c and it had to have an oil change while i was in north dakota so i took it into the toyota garage and The manager turned out to be a man I knew, and uh, I was even gonna preach for his father-in-law that following Sunday. But he told me that a year ago, I had prayed for him and his wife to have their own child, and they'd been married, I think it was 10 to 13 years without conceiving a child, if I remember right. And he told me that his wife was now 26 weeks pregnant. He put me at the head of the line and paid for my oil change. And I was rejoicing in, in God, but see, I didn't remember that I even prayed for him. I had prayed with all my heart, very sincerely, but then I pray for people all over the country. Every week, I'm praying for people. I can't possibly remember all those prayers, but God remembers them. And that's what Paul was saying. I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. <laughs> against that day. Now, to me, one of the things that means is that I can pray sincerely for somebody and God isn't going to forget. He, you know, you know how humans are. We ask somebody what their name is, then we forget it unless we write it down and make an all-out effort to remember it. Well, I can't possibly remember all the people I pray for, but God remembers and answers the prayer if we commit those things to him. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing to rejoice in the Lord about? Praise God. Hallelujah. So, you know what I do? I just rejoice that I can pray good prayers in the moment, in love and sincerity, and in faith that God's gonna keep those prayers and enjoy answering them he's going to do great things with them because if I happen to pray too small, he can always do exceedingly abundantly more than I ask or imagine. And here's a Bible verse, Paul wrote this, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Ephesians 3. Here's my last point, number seven, I rejoice that God has a vision for my finances. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the American dollar is being replaced as the reserve currency of the world. China and Saudi Arabia have bought trillions of our national debt, but they keep selling off those bonds without buying any more. And the days of our government overspending with borrowed money appears to be coming to an end. I believe that wrenching financial times are just ahead. And I was, you know, if, if I just look at that without looking at the Lord, then I feel anxiety. But see, I'm looking at God and and the scriptures, and I'm rejoicing in the scriptures that promise me that God will increase my wealth if I'm a conduit for his generosity and goodness. Now, this theme is repeated over and over in the Bible. And we can rejoice that God watches over his word to perform it. That's Jeremiah one twelve. He said, I'm watching over my word to perform it. And so in Proverbs 1125, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And that's going to be true whether the dollar hyperinflates or not. Jesus said, given it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. That's going to happen regardless of what happens to the value of the dollar. We just have to be conduits for God. We have to, like Ron Inget says, never resist a generous impulse from heaven. Because when God gives you that generous impulse, if you'll let it go and let it pass through you, then more blessings will come to you. So when Jesus said give, he didn't say give and you'll go without. And so I tell people, you know, The poverty mindset is where we see as if we had a pizza and we're gonna take one of the six slices and we're gonna give it away and then we're only gonna have five left. And that's the vision that the devil, the other voice, wants us to have of our finances. But God's vision is that we have a bag of seed and we're gonna plant some of this seed and have a harvest. And then we're gonna have more more seed to, to give away. All right, so here, let's look at some, some more scriptures. Paul wrote to the Philippians, you know, where in this book where he's always talking about rejoicing. He said, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. Now here, he promises them something. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, In glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, God's going to supply your needs not according to the value of the U.S. dollar, but according to his riches in glory. Now, rejoice in the Lord right now, wherever you are, that God is watching over his word to perform it. And then I would urge you. Uh, you know, to act on these scriptures and be generous at the prompting of God wherever he prompts you to be generous. Now, if preachers say, well, that's true, but you got to give it to my ministry because my ministry is better than everybody else's ministry and that's only going to work if you give it to me. Well, that's manipulation. And I believe preachers that use manipulation will end up in hell if they don't repent. So I used to... uh, for decades now, I've I've hardly promised people anything if they give, except that you'll have treasure in heaven. But you'll have more than treasure in heaven. If you become a conduit for God, you will have a reward in heaven, but you'll also have more coming from heaven through you. And Paul wrote this. He said, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then he continued. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now that's second Corinthians chapter 9 verse 10 of verses six through 12. So God wants you to see that when you give at His prompting, there's going to be a multiplication happen to your finances. They're going to somehow increase so that you can be generous on every occasion in every way. But you'll have all you need. uh, Your needs will be supplied and you'll have more to give away to others. Now, that's a completely different mindset than that if I give this slice of pizza, I'm only going to have five slices left. There might not be enough for me so i'm telling you to rejoice that you can be a conduit of heaven regardless of how wacky or crazy see if the government i believe they're messing up so badly that they're not going to be able to fulfill all their promises and send out all their checks and so many people are relying on the government we could just worry and fear of, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when this financial stuff just blows up? Well, God's economy doesn't blow up. God's riches and glory are just fine. And, and these are things that I store up in my heart, and then I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to give more than ever. Recently, I spoke to a, a convention of broadcasters And I had taken a whole bunch of my 21 Ways to Forgive books to sell, hopefully, to make some money, you know, because I wasn't going to be paid for going down there. Uh, They paid for my hotel and uh, part of my airfare. But I was just doing a freebie as far as the sermon. And uh, while I was there, I thought, you know what? I've been preaching that God multiplies the seed. I'm going to give everybody here. They're, they're not. I'm not going to sell many books because their table was in another room. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to put a free tract in every one of these books. And, and, and so I had, a, I had a whole bunch of them. And I just said, people, I, I want to give these to you. Now, I've sown seed, and I'm rejoicing. I know that seed's going to come back. I know God's going to open doors for me. I know I'm going to make a whole bunch of new connections. And so, as I look into the future, the world is headed just for the darkest time ever. Absolutely crazy things are going to happen. Crazy things in the economy. Great terror attacks in the United States, unless somehow we can intercede and shut them off. But... God will be with us we need to pray and rejoice and when we get into that rejoicing and praising we're safeguarded and a marvelous safeguard that safeguards us from unbelief and fear and anxiety and depression and all those things God is enthroned over over our praises and and then he's enthroned over our problems Now, I would urge you to listen to this message again. And when you get our n- newsletter, the sermon notes are sent to you. If you read online at the end of the newsletter, the whole sermon transcript is there for you to read and study. I want you to decide in your heart, you know what, I'm gonna do what Paul said, I am going to rejoice in the Lord I'm going to count it all joy, like the Apostle James says, like King David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm not going to wait for things to get better to praise God. I'm going to praise God for his word. If his word says I'm healed, I'm going to start praising God for his word. If his word says that he's going to bless my finances when I give, man, I'm going to to give, obey the word at his prompting wherever he directs. And just as Paul experienced the great miracle in the Philippian jail, we're gonna have more angelic encounters, greater answers. You know, Jesus said, he that believeth in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I'm going to the Father. For years I've wondered, how could you possibly do a greater work than Jesus did when he was on earth? What could be a greater work? Well, the needs are going to be greater. And so instead of multiplying food for and feeding 5,000 men plus the women and children, we might be used to do a miracle like that for 50,000 people, and it would be a greater work. You see what I'm saying? The needs are going to be greater, but the miracles are going to be greater. I want to intentionally... Rejoice in the Lord at all times. I want that safeguard. I want this habit. I've been serving God a long time. Been in full-time ministry over 50 years. Been serving him. I'm 73. I got saved when I was 13. So I've been a Christian for 60 years. But more exciting doors are opening for me now than at any time in my life. And I want to not just read these verses, I want to live them. And I hope that you'll decide to do the same thing when the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul said again at the start, further my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it's a safeguard for you. Philippians 3.1 and then Philippians 4.4. 4 rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. With David, who wrote Psalms 34 in the cave, I will bless the Lord at all times. I'm not going to wait for it to get any better. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times, whether it's before the miracle, during the miracle, or after the miracle. I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, would you just uh, don't have a car wreck if you're listening to this in a car, but if you can, would you lift your face up to God and lift your hands up to God and just say, Dear Lord, I really want to live this stuff. I want to I want to pray and then I want to praise to where my prayers and my praises balance. I want to pray and then I want to rejoice in you. I want to pray continually. The Bible says, pray continually. But it also says rejoice in the Lord always. I want to do both. I want to be a doer of your word. I want you to be enthroned on my praises, enthroned over the top of these problems. Hallelujah. Let's praise him. Father, we thank you that you're watching over your word to perform it. Now, we want to be conduits for you, for your love, for your truth, for your encouragement, for gifts of healing, for Finances, whatever you want to pour through us we pray that you'll give us clear direction that wonderful nudge from heaven the urge to be generous wherever you direct it and lord we we thank you that then that that praise and worship is going to provide a safety for us in the most troubled times and And your great angels will surely encamp around us and deliver us. And our faces will be radiant because we look to you and trusted you. Would you say a big, uh, uh, in Jesus' name with me? (laughs) In Jesus' name. Well, I love you, friend. May God help you be a doer of this word. Rejoice in the Lord always. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at PastorBacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.